Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman, and I saw a story the other day on YouTube that really made me stop and think. It was of a woman running the Boston Marathon. Now, that may not seem like a noteworthy sentence, a woman running the Boston Marathon, but she was running it in 1967. At the time, in the 70-year history of the event, no woman had ever officially run in it. There was a good reason for that. They weren't allowed. It may seem hard to fathom now, but women were not allowed. If you sent in an application with a name like Amy or Julia, you were not allowed to run. Back then, I'm telling you, there were people who thought that if a woman ran a marathon, her ovaries might fall out. But if you sent in an application with the name K.V. Switzer, that got through because the organizers assumed you were a man. So that's what Catherine Switzer did. She sent in an application for K.V. Switzer and she was enrolled, got the number 261. She was living in Syracuse at the time, 20 years old. Her boyfriend back then, Big Tom Miller, was an All-American at Syracuse University. He was a hammer thrower with a dream of making the Olympic team. An assistant track coach at Syracuse, Arnie Briggs, got behind her and decided to run in the race with her and Tom. So Catherine shows up in a hoodie over her long hair. But that seems in sync with everyone else. It's kind of a cold, damp day and men were wearing ponchos to keep warm. Race starts and Catherine's running along with her boyfriend and her coach. Her hood comes down and some of the other runners are surprised. Hey, it's a woman. They're encouraging. About four miles into the race, this flatbed truck catches up with them. It's got all the newspaper photographers and reporters. Naturally, they're all going to be taking pictures of the one woman running the Boston Marathon. But then, there's always a but then moment in a good story. A reporter on the truck turns to one of the race organizers and says, Jock, there's a woman in your race. Jock was Jock Semple. Jock screams to stop the truck. He gets out and starts running after Catherine. You should check out the series of photos on YouTube. They're landmark images. This guy, Jock, is absolutely furious. He's snarling and he grabs Catherine and says, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. He tries to grab the numbers, but he didn't realize that the guy running next to Catherine was her boyfriend and 235 pounds and a hammer thrower hoping to make it to the Olympics. Big Tom cross body blocks Jock and sends him flying to the sidewalk like a sack of potatoes. Catherine's coach calls out to her, run like hell. And all of a sudden, the pressure's on. Now she knows, if I don't finish this race, everybody's gonna say that a woman can't do it. She's thinking, I gotta finish even if it's on my hands and knees. And she does. Takes her more than four hours, and things changed. Not immediately. It was another seven years before women could officially enter the race. But watching the story made me realize how much change 
has played out in my lifetime. Made me stop and think of the great advice I've gotten on this podcast from women and how it's helped me lift my business and move ahead in life. One of the members of the Big Questions team, Elaine Chen, thought it would be cool to go back and revisit some of that wisdom. That sounded good. And then Sam and Dave from Air Quotes jumped in on it. Listeners of Big Questions might remember Sam and Dave, two students who dropped out of Harvard. Well, let's just say they were taking a little break to get their startup going. I did an episode with them last June. They're the guys who figured out how a listener can take snippets from a podcast and pass them around social media. So here's what I'm going to do. In this episode, I'm going to play seven of Elaine's favorite air quotes from some of my female guests. A lesson for every day of the week. Now here's the thing. If I was looking to pull out my favorite moment of those podcasts, I might have chose different moments. But that's the beauty of air quotes. It's like somebody sending you a message that they took from someone else. And it might hit you in a new and impactful way. I hope the moments Elaine chose will inspire you to air quote your favorite moments from Big Questions. How do you do it? You can sign up to use AIR for free at air.io slash cal. That's A-I-R-R dot I-O slash cal. And you can tweet Big Questions podcast clips or air quotes to me at Cal Fussman. I'll be responding to the moments you share, and I'll pick my favorites as we ring in the new year. Winners will get to kick off 2020 in comfort with some new sportique threads on the house. Now, I've been traveling, and got to admit it, I owe some folks some sportique threads. I promise to get them out soon. It must be torture waiting for those soft hoodies sweats, and comfy tees. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll get them right to you. And if you haven't won any prizes yet, and you want to see just how soft Sportique threads are, and how you can roam in comfort, go to Sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. So, Let's get to some of Elaine's favorite takeaways on big questions. That means starting with the best intro ever for this podcast by the singer-songwriter, Rachel Platten. Cal Fussman. First lesson comes from Shannon Lee, daughter of the iconic martial artist and film star Bruce Lee. Shannon has given me guidance before I ran a Spartan trifecta. And here she teaches me how to move forward in all ways through her dad's lens. Well, it sounds like you're having your break with tradition moment, right? Oh, man. Right? There it is. Yeah. There it is. The confines and the constraints of tradition, like what you were, how you were taught and raised, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> I had my Bruce Lee moment. <laughs> you did. Yeah. And now I'm free to create in a new way. Right. And also you're free now that you've thrown this off to do it in any way that you want, to make up what that way is, to create that way. Because sometimes when we, when we let go of an old way, we just pick up a new way that somebody else has said, oh, don't do this, do this, this works, which is great. And that might work for a while, but we always have to sort of be in very present and really come from a deep place of knowing what our natural instinct is and being able to sort of create in the moment. My father's big like philosophical tenet that he associated with his art and with his life was using no way as way, having no limitation as limitation. And the using no way as way part is not, I don't use any way, but I'm open to all ways. I'm able to move and be fluid in any way, in any direction I need to toward the accomplishing of this thing that I want to do. And so you're breaking with tradition and you are getting to a place now where you get to choose and create exactly how that happens based on the energy within yourself driving you in that direction. You know, as you were saying that, I could almost visualize your dad there the smile on his face, <laughs> shaking his head. One of the old habits I need to break is putting myself out there only after I excel at things. Because when it comes to work, I like to make sure I'm playing at the highest levels when people see me on the job. I rarely jump into something in front of a crowd unless I know how to crush it. I hope I can be open to learning to take a lesson here from Laura Schwab, the president of Aston Martin. Laura graduated from Notre Dame, got a law degree at Kentucky, headed out to California, and found a job at a startup that was selling cars online. She learned how to code and master the internet. Then a friend encouraged her to take her skills to Land Rover, which she did. Once she was there, she had absolutely no qualifications for a job that opened up across the country as a regional rep to dealerships. But she went after it. Sometimes, like Laura, you've just got to dive in. That's probably why she's the president at Aston Martin now. So I was lucky, and I said, well, I, I, I'll put my hat in the ring, and I'll apply for this role. And no one, no else, one else really applied other than me. And I was like, you know, if you give me this job, I will work harder than anyone. And if I'm not successful, you know, you can you can fire me. You know, I don't care. Just I really want this. And I got the job, and I picked up my stuff, and I moved to Boston. And I forget what year that was, maybe 2003, 2002, and bought a place in the south end of Boston and took on my new role, which I was woefully underqualified for. <laughs> but you were on the cutting edge of this, so. Yeah, I think. I think was so. anybody really qualified for it? Well, the, the regional roles they were. Yeah. It was pretty much all men. You know, I was the only woman at the time doing a job like that um, in the company because it was working directly with the car dealers. And, you know, the perception that dealers can be tough, you know, they're 
independent business owners right. and, and that I was going to show up to tell them how to run their business. And they're going to look at me like, how do you know how to run my business? Wow. But I got really lucky that they took really good care of me. And some of the dealers in the Boston area, again, are still like my really good friends. And this one lady who's a very dear friend of mine, she's like, you don't really know that much about the car business, do you? I was like, no. <laughs> I don't. And she's like, do you want to come work at the dealership for a couple of weeks? She's like, I'll teach you and I'll have my team teach you. And I literally went and worked at her dealership. I showed up every day and they taught me how to write lease deals and understand service department and parts and all the rest of that it. That is amazing. Yeah. You she just, just opened her whole company to you? Yeah. You just, this is the, you meet people along the way that give you these breaks and and you're still doing your job well so yeah so I said to my boss I said well what's the training program in my new role it's like well there really isn't one you just get in there and you start doing it and so then I said well um this one dealer's gonna let me like work at the dealership for a few weeks he's like do whatever you need to I mean that job is all about hitting numbers if you hit your numbers it doesn't matter how you do it you know and so I'm like well I can't hit my numbers if I don't understand what generates them (laughs) Next lesson comes from my pal, Heather Monahan. If you go back and listen to that podcast, you'll hear her giving me great sales advice. She insisted that I practice sales skills by asking for a room upgrade every time I go to a hotel. At first, this was really uncomfortable to me. But once you start doing it, it becomes normal. And you know what? Sometimes it works. Here... Heather teaches me how to negotiate as she goes about convincing someone in the company to give her a job that the company doesn't even have. And I was so bored in the role that they had. I said, guys, you need a VP of sales for the whole company. Here's the value I can bring. Here's what it's going to do for you. And here's why I'm the right guy. And the president of the company said, well, I don't know. We don't like change. So I did what I always did. I went back to my office and I started calling around to leave. I was bored. I knew I I could do more. And I found another job. I called him back again. We met for lunch because anytime you're having a serious conversation about money or opportunity, you meet face to face. And I met with him face to face. And I said, I'm here today to revisit the conversation we had last time. I want to talk yet again about how I can increase your revenue. I can potentially double it within a year if you're willing to take a look at this opportunity. Here's how I'll do it. Here's why I'm the right guy. Here's what you've seen from me thus far that shows you my track record. Can we sign this deal? And he said, You did the same thing. I did the same thing. I do always do the same thing. It's always my same approach. I'm very direct. Can we make the deal? We got, well, we need to, are we going to do it or not? You know, I always say this, you're either pregnant or you're not. There's no, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. There, oh. It's a yes or a no. And so he said to me, you know, I just don't know. We don't like change. Let me think about it. I said, then you know what? This conversation's changing. I'm resigning right now. Because what he didn't know was in the last month, I'd been calling other companies and I found a bigger, much better job. And he said, hang on one minute. And he stepped out of the restaurant and called his father, the CEO. He was the president. And he came back in five minutes later and he said, I would like to award you the vice president position that I'm newly creating effective today. And it was the greatest (laughs) lesson though, Cal. I learned in that moment, if you're not dealing with the ultimate decision maker, you cannot accept a no from someone who can't tell you yes. Oh, man. 
that is a nugget of wisdom I'm putting in my pocket. Yeah, absolutely. And But I didn't know he wasn't the ultimate decision maker. Right. So sometimes you really have to peel back the layers and get a clear vision of what's going on. The fourth lesson comes from Melanie Whelan, CEO of SoulCycle. It's a reminder to me to stay in touch with younger people. I was talking to an older guy who used a reference to the film Karate Kid to some younger people. And those younger people had no idea what he was talking about. We all need to know what younger people know. If they don't know about Mr. Miyagi, then I probably don't know a lot about their world. I have to remind myself to continually reach out to young people, as Melanie Whelan explains. Do you find yourself looking for young people to mentor you in a way because they know their surroundings better than you do. Yes. Um, earlier this year, I identified a millennial mentor because I realized that that was a segment of the population that I didn't really understand. And getting perspectives from all kinds of diverse backgrounds, whether age or um, community or upbringing or education, I think is really important, especially for a brand like ours that really is a, around broad community impact. You know, we want as many people as possible to come through the door. We believe that we can create real change through this personal transformation model that we operate. And so in order to do that and to really make sure that a marketing campaign is resonant, I want to get different people's input on that because they'll bring different perspectives to that. And that, again, I think that's where you get the best thinking. What have you learned from your millennial mentor? Is there one piece of advice or counsel that you grasped? So I think across the board, what we are all grappling with as humans is this notion of time. We don't have a lot of time, and we have a lot of choices of how we spend our time. And with social media and technology, we're all on our devices a lot more than we should be. And so what I really try to understand from her, as well as from my parents, as well as from my peers, is how they're making choices of how to spend their time, and ultimately how they're making choices of how to spend their money in that time. Because people ask me all the time about competition and how do I think about competition. And I always say, I think our one of our biggest competition is Netflix because the programming is so awesome and it's so easy to watch the next episode or binge the whole thing. And then you're going to sleep through your alarm and you're not going to come into Soul Cycle. And then what's going to happen next? Oh, no. What's going to happen is we're going to come to your house and we're going to find you and we're going to bring you back. But the <laughs> truth of it is that we are so time-starved. So what I talk with her, my millennial mentor, about is how she's choosing to spend her time and how she's choosing to spend her money and what's important to her. And it's interesting because it's different than when I was her age. And it's different certainly than who I am today because I've got two young kids. Um, so I think it's been really, really insightful. This next lesson comes from the singer-songwriter Rachel Platten. And it's a constant reminder for all of us to be the most authentic version of ourselves, which includes balancing our vulnerabilities and our sense of courage. Here's Rachel. But a lot of this then no. doesn't, it's much bigger than having a great voice. It's not it's, about that. What is it about? I think it's finding the most real version of you that is coming from source, from God, from above, letting that just, if it's a song that you're writing, if you're a songwriter, letting, letting it come in and not getting in the way. Because if you can be the clearest channel to something bigger than you, that's what people want. 
They want some truth. They want like, they want to feel like they're not alone. They want to feel like they're heard and seen. And maybe that's what I do in my music. So I think that through songs like Fight Song and Stand By You and the songs I've written for this album, I'm really vulnerable in them. I don't really like put up walls of who I am. I, I'm really honest. I let my failures and my fears, I let them be my strengths. It's funny, when I listen to those songs, I just hear power. You do? Yeah. I don't... I don't. Too, that's awesome. I don't hear any of the thing. Look, obviously, that's what pushed... The, the other part is what no, pushed it out No, but you might be me. right, and I could be totally wrong. I don't think so. It's got to be both both. It's got to be yeah. both, because let me tell you... I as I don't get inspired by people who are just powerful. I get inspired by power, power with vulnerability. Mm. That's what I love. Someone that's like encouraging me, but then also raw and telling me what's right. wrong with them. And you can't have a story without vulnerability. No. There is no story without vulnerability. Brene Brown, I was just listening to what she said. She said, there's no courage without vulnerability. The two define the same thing. Vulnerability is risk of uncertainty, emotional, like, instability, knowing that you don't know the outcome. That is courage. Yeah. Well, I think those those songs to me are the smash through vulnerability. But there's acknowledgement of them in there. Like like the, the verses, I know at least for me, maybe they don't come off that way. You know what? Maybe they don't because when I see an audience, they're oftentimes people cry at my shows and that's really beautiful. I don't know why they're crying. I don't know if they're crying because they like relate. They see that my weakness is their weakness and it's the same or if they just feel inspired and they feel power for me but I hope that it's both because at least what I want to do now on this record is show people guess what I'm not just that person I'm not just the strong person that like can battle through anything and, and fight through anything I also get really afraid and I also am like you and that I'm insecure and so if I if I can go that low with you then you can believe me when I want to take you up mm, high wow one of the most amazing achievements I've seen in my lifetime is Diana Nyad swimming 110 miles between Cuba and Key West through water filled with sharks and jellyfish when she was 64 years old, having failed four times over the previous four decades. It's the oldest lesson in the world, but a reminder that we can always use, no matter how difficult things get, simply... Do not give up in the end. I have to say, though, I will tell you, it's going to sound braggartly, that no matter how many times I failed, no matter how devastating each failure was after training that hard, putting it together, it's not easy to get into Cuba with all that electronic gear, all the, all the government you know, agency stuff, uh, putting the team together again. It's a team of 44 people. It's not just five of you going out on a little raft. No matter how down I might be at the moment of us deciding we can't make it this time, Mother Nature's too big. It's like being on Everest and a hundred mile an hour winds coming and you don't say, I'm tough. 
I'm going to withstand a hundred mile an hour wind. I'm going up anyway. No, you, you pack it up and you go down to save your life and your team's life. So we packed it up four times. I, ne- I never came to a point of I'm too exhausted. I can't make it. I didn't train hard enough. It was a group decision. John Bartlett would come down, kneel down. Bonnie would be there with tears in his eye, her eyes. And they'd say, here's where we are. And here's what's happening. The stream's here. A storm is coming in. The wind is coming here. We can't make it. Do you want to just prove that you can swim another 12 hours, <laughs> even though we're not going to make it? No, we're here to get there. So we gave it up four times because Mother Nature was too powerful. But I never lost resolve. Never. Even on the boat going back the endless hours to Key West, jellyfish bites and, and uh, you know, torn up shoulders. And, you know, you've got, you've got deep gashes from the, from the salt and saltwater exposure. Your mouth is swollen up to four times the size. I would say to Bonnie, you know, but wait hours and hours before we'd reach the docks at Key West, listen, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to put it together. We're going to do this better next time. And she say, for God's sake, you know, we tried almost as hard as you did. Can you give us a lousy 48 hours to, to pat ourselves on the back for this attempt? Can you just give us a lousy 48 hours before we start putting it together again? I said, okay, okay. You know, it's, it's only fair. And this last lesson is from a woman who is trying to save the oceans, Daniela Fernandez. Now, I realize that most people have not heard of Daniela, but I think she's one of the most important people in the world. And this is one of the podcasts I recommend to people who've never listened to big questions before. In this air quote, her dreams of creating the Sustainable Oceans Alliance nonprofit seems to be shattered. There's no money left. And her assistant has told her, it's about time to close shop. But she must have been listening to Diana Nyad because she didn't give up and listen to what happens. At this point, we're starting to look for funders and reaching out to everyone, anyone we could find. This was a time where cryptocurrency and Bitcoin was... It was very popular here in San Francisco. And I started going to a bunch of the forums and the conferences. And I started learning about this individual who calls himself Pine. And he has this thing called a pineapple fund. And I started seeing posts about him. And again, it's just noise. And one night, I think it was about 1 a.m. when I'm desperately looking for funders and Googling away. I see a post that says, pineapple fund giving money to nonprofits. You know, like apply today. And so instead of applying through the usual circumstances, I find his email. So I, and it was, I think, pineapple at .org or something very simple, but I, I emailed him and I said to him, do you- how, how do you start that email? The subject line was using technology to save the ocean. Right. And the email was, dear Pine, right. I would love to ask for your support of Sustainable Ocean Alliance. And here's what we're trying to accomplish and build and, and how we're going to save the world in, in, you know, in, in this manner. And I kid you not, the next night I get an email uh, saying, Dear Daniela, here's $1 million. You skipped a step in the story <laughs> because you were telling me you were almost out of money at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, I, the story, you got to do the story right. So <laughs> you, you got to get it down. We're down to our last penny. Yeah. Craig could not work anymore for free. Craig could not work anymore for free. That's right. And and, and doesn't isn't Craig saying, look, 
we gave it a good try. We went to Malta. We started this accelerated program, but we're out of cash. Yeah. No, you're right. That was that was the. When you tell the story, you gotta you gotta yank <laughs> gotta the yank audience it, the it, audience it. forward before you hit them with that. So the next day, after you send Pine that email, you go to where? Where do you go to your computer? I you know I just check check my email. I'm right? I wake up and I'm checking my email on the floor. You're not even thinking that Pine's going to email you back. Oh no, I'm just opening my email. But, but the one thing I want to point out, you know, as we're talking about the building up the story, Craig was already in the mindset of this is it like this it's it's over it's going to be done soon and you know we're looking for some sponsors and they're not calling us back and but I still knew it was going to be okay I, I knew it was going to work out That's because I, I your mom how. always told you <laughs> and so it's gonna work out and so the pineapple money you know hits my so, hold email it. so you go to your computer you just woken up yeah where did you open your computer uh on the floor of my bedroom all right so you're open it up, you see the email from Pine, what is your first thought? Like, wow, this could be interesting or? I knew it was real. You knew it was real? I knew it was real. So you knew when you saw Pine, you know what? There's a million bucks right there. You did. I knew he had given it it to us, yeah. And it's 6 a.m. and I'm calling Craig in tears and be like, blah, 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 money, a million dollars. He's like, what's going on with her? She's lost it. <laughs> well, I hope that this holiday season and the new year bring you everything you're wishing for. I hope you'll send me photos of where you're listening to Big Questions. I hope you'll air quote your favorite moments from Big Questions. Remember, you can sign up to use AIR for free at air.io slash cal. That's A-I-R-R dot I-O slash cal. And tweet Big Questions podcast clips or air quotes to me at Cal Fussman. And if it really resonates with me, I'll send you some Sportique Dreads. Check out Sportique.com and see for yourself why I'm so grateful to have Matt and Jason at Sportique behind me. And if you use the offer code CAL, you're going to get a 20% discount. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast as usual. Thanks to Elaine Chen for picking out those air quotes. You know, I think she deserves a Sportique hoodie. What do you say? Happy holidays. Cheers.